0: Good morning. Can you believe we're in Advent already? For many of us, it's our favorite time of the year. It's a particularly important time in the year of the church, and we want to celebrate it correctly. So uh, we begin uh, where the angel comes, and the angel Gabriel, with an announcement to Mary. Now, I'm going to read a little farther along than uh, was announced. So we are in Luke, first chapter. Beginning at verse 26, so if you're following along in your pew Bible, that would be on page 855, I believe. Beginning at verse 26, and I'm going to go into the visit with Elizabeth as well. You can also follow in the bullet, and it's there, but as I said, I'm going to read a little farther. This is God's word. We've just read, or we would, we would just know about the um, pregnancy of Elizabeth. So the sixth month actually refers to her pregnancy. So we begin at verse 26, God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city, or actually town, of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Lord, this is a passage most of us have heard all of our lives, at least once a year, if not more. And I pray, Lord, that you would make it alive to us That we would see in it the significance of it, the wonder of it, and that you would apply it to us once again or perhaps for the first time. So I pray for all of us hearers that you would work your way with us. Give us attention. Open our ears and our hearts that you would speak to us through me, your servant. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you don't have to know. A lot of Latin to translate the, uh, the sermon title Ave Maria. I expect you know that. It's simply a greeting. Hi, Mary, in, in the vernacular anyway. Uh, most of us have heard Schubert's beautiful aria Ave Maria. We don't sing it because the words are the Catholic prayer Hail Mary that I learned as a boy. Uh, most of us, the only thing we know about Hail Mary is a, a desperate football pass, and that will be my only football reference in a sermon ever. Now, my sermon isn't going to be about Mary, not specifically, but it would be wrong to ignore her in her incredible response for what the angel comes to tell her. Not actually to ask her, you might notice, but to tell her what God is about to do in and through her. And Mary's naturally troubled. It, it says what kind of greeting this might be. Well, she understands the words. But what are you saying? Uh, we, the Catholics translated Mary full of grace. That's actually not the good translation. It's you're, you're highly favored. And it really, what it really means is God is bestowing great favor on you, Mary. And she might say when she finds out what it is, she might not think this is such a great favor. You're about to become pregnant, Mary, and bear a child. It's a mixed blessing as you know, what a privilege. What an embarrassment. What a shame. she, she, She realizes what she's about to face, but she is being highly favored, unique in all of history to bear the Christ child. She's going to conceive a child, and she understands that it's imminent that she's going to bear a child soon, and that's why she says, well, how is this going to happen? I'm not married. Now, She's not stupid. She knows where babies come from. So this is why she asks. I I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not married. How is this going to happen? Now, many times, skeptics of today say, "You know, this is 21st century." They thought that virgins could bear children. No, they didn't, and Mary didn't either. And that's why she asks. So, so let's not go there and say these silly, silly people who wrote Scripture. They thought these things happened. Why do you think Mary's asking? Um, How is this supposed to happen? I'm not married and you're indicating that this is going to happen soon. I need some information. How is this going to happen? And the angel said, this is going to happen in a miraculous way. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to conceive and bear a child. And you wonder, is Mary happy about this? She accepts it, but it's got to be going on in her mind. This is going to be troublesome. This is going to create some problems. But she immediately accepts it. She immediately submits. So this is a remarkable young woman. Bold, courageous. And yet, what does the angel do? He tells her about her relative. It's not cousin. I I don't know why the King James translates it as cousin. Her relative. It's an old woman. Maybe her aunt or great aunt. Who knows? Her relative Elizabeth is pregnant. She must not have heard, even though it's not terribly far away. She must not have heard this. My relative Elizabeth is pregnant? Yes, go to her. Why? Because this will dispel any doubts. And this will assure her, this will ease her into the whole idea of what God is doing, a tremendous thing now. Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And so she goes to visit Elizabeth. But as soon as she cries out, Elizabeth! Now, I've never been pregnant, obviously. This woman is like six months pregnant. And the baby jumps. I, I, I can't imagine what that feels like. I don't suppose any of you women who have been pregnant have ever experienced a baby jumping in your womb. And it says she cries out in a loud voice. I bet she did. Okay. Blessed is, are you among women. I, I mean, something happens where John responds And Elizabeth feels it, and you can bet she does. And she says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. She knows immediately. I mean, Mary's not showing, but she knows that Mary is pregnant with the Lord. I mean, where's this information coming from? And she says, blessed are you who has believed that the Lord has done this. Who is this? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then Mary breaks out in song. So the whole purpose, it's so kind to Mary and say, Mary, you need this visit. You need this confirmation. And then whatever Mary understands, she seems to be at peace. And and so there we have it. So so it's not so much about Mary, but Mary is remarkable in all of this. It's the announcement of what the angel says. And and there are at least three things, there are probably more, but there are at least three things that the angel says to her about The Son of God. And and here they are. The Son of God is going to take flesh. That's pretty remarkable. The Son of God is going to take away sin, and the Son of God is going to take his throne. That's my outline. Okay? So the Son of God is going to come and take flesh. That's an amazing thing. The Son of God is going to take flesh. Now, understand this. When the angel Gabriel, now Gabriel means, by the way, this is free of charge, God is my hero. It's a great name. Gabriel, okay, God is my hero. Can you imagine the, the thrill that he must have had with the assignment? Hey, you get to go tell Mary what's going to happen here. And he says, the child born to you is going to be called the Son of God. Now, what does Mary think when she hears this? I'm going to be the mother of the Son of God. You know, the Son of God was actually not such a strange title in Jewish years because angels were sons of God, Righteous men were sons of God. Even kings, Davidic kings, were sons of God. You can read Psalm 2, right? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is written of a Davidic king. Yes, we know it points to Jesus eventually. But it's actually written of a Davidic king. And we also uh, read in 2 Samuel 7 where God is promising to David... Your son Solomon will be my son. So, the idea of the Son of God, I don't think Mary realizes what the angel's saying yet. Okay, the Son of God. You're going to be the mother of the Son of God. Oh, okay, all right. I don't think she's quite getting it yet. Now, the idea of the Son of God taking flesh, what do you think this would mean to Jewish ears? The Son of God takes flesh. That doesn't happen, you know. As a matter of fact, how could that happen? Okay? I mean, one of the big problems with the Son of God taking flesh is that would require more than one person in the Godhead. And, and, and Jews don't accept that idea. So this is, this is not something that Mary could possibly have been grasping at the time that we could have the Son of God separate from the Father. This is not, when she hears the Spirit and all that, she, she doesn't think in terms of Trinity. There's no way. The idea of God taking flesh. We don't have this in other religions, you know. Hinduism has avatars, and that's the closest I could find in coming up with the idea of any gods ever taking human form. And that's not the same thing as Christian view of God taking flesh. But you know, the Old Testament actually does have hints of the Messiah being human and divine. Did you know that? There are actually clues in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be human and divine. Jesus gives one when he says to the Jewish leaders, how is it that David, from Psalm 110, can call his son Lord? But that's not the strongest. Okay? Many of you are going to be listening to the Messiah. And you're going to get to Isaiah 9. And his name shall be called... Wonderful Counselor. It's one name, by the way. Handel had it wrong because he's following the King James, right? Wonderful Counselor, right? Okay. What's the second name? Mighty God? Were they not listening? His name should be called what? Mighty God? What's the third name? Everlasting Father? That means Father from... That means, that means he comes from eternal past. It doesn't mean he's the Father. Eternal... So we have Mighty God and Everlasting Father. That's divine. That's divine. So we have wonderful counsel, that's human. We have, um, uh, we have uh, mighty God, we have everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Human and divine, right there in Isaiah 9. Everybody knows that's a messianic passage. Already we have clear indication that the Messiah would be human and divine. She's going to give birth to God's Son, who would be human and divine. I don't know how much Mary understands this. Let's talk about the virgin birth a little bit. The necessity of the, uh, the child being born of a virgin. Obviously human because it is of Mary. So of her egg, of her ovum. okay, But not of a human father. There must be no question that there is no human father. And therefore she is of a virgin. Nobody can say, well, we don't really know. No, no, she's a virgin. So there's no human father. There can be no human father it's miraculous conception okay true god of true god begotten not made one human parent but conceived by god okay he doesn't become the son of god when he's born he doesn't become the son of god at baptism i've heard people say that nonsense at conception he is the son of god taking flesh always existing but then he takes flesh He has to be born of a virgin because he has no human father in order for him to be fully God and fully man. What does this say about God? Well, number one, that he can do this. That he can lower himself. The great one can become so small. He becomes a zygote, an embryo, a baby. And that he would do it. What God does this? That he would do this because what does it say about us that we need it that god would lower himself because it is necessary for him to do this the son of god comes to take flesh the son of god comes to take away our sin now this is not quite as obvious as uh, but it's there in the name jesus Mary is told, you shall name him Jesus. Now, the woman doesn't get to name the sons, doesn't get to name the children. You probably know that. Joseph, in Matthew 1, is given a dream where he said, don't be afraid to take Mary. She, the child in her womb, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. You shall name him Jesus. So both of them are told separately by an angel, name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, yah Shua, Yah is from Yahweh, and Shua means saves. So it means the Lord saves. Okay, so that's what the name means. We know it as Joshua. Did you know that after Jesus, Jews would no longer name their children that popular name for centuries and centuries? Okay, because of the stigma, they would no longer. And Christians, out of respect would not name their children Joshua for centuries and centuries and centuries. I don't know when Christians... Now, I'm not criticizing anybody who does that. I'm just saying for many centuries, neither Christians nor Jews would touch that name. Okay? Because of what it means. The Lord saves. Now, there's nothing wrong with... It's a declaration. The Lord saves. Okay? God had already, however, given provision for, for saving from sin. So the Jews were not expecting anybody to be sent to save sinners because God had already given away. I mean, by sacrificing animals, God already made a way to save sinners. And every time they sinned, they could bring a a pure animal to the priest and he could sacrifice that animal and their sins could be saved. And then once a year on the Day of Atonement, which we live in such a Jewish community here, we, we well know. What is that day called? Once a year, about September or so, what's it called? Yom Kippur, okay? The Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would offer a great sacrifice to cover all the sins of all the people that they had not yet atoned for, okay? Yom Kippur. And so there was a way for atonement. So why do they need somebody to come to take away their sin? This is not something that they were expecting, But the truly righteous among them knew, knew that they were still deeply sinful. Do you remember Isaiah when he goes into the temple in Isaiah 6? And he sees God on the throne and he just falls apart. I'm undone. I am so sinful. He probably offered sacrifice all the time. He probably took his animals to the priest all the time. And yet he knew, I'm so sinful. David, a man after God's own heart, I'm so sinful. They knew that they could not ever be clean. Were they expecting somebody to come and not only take care of their sins, but wash them completely clean? Were they expecting it? They should have. You and I, when we read Isaiah 53, we look at and say, well, duh, isn't it obvious? When we read Isaiah 53, we read that The servant was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was stricken for transgressions. He bore the sin of many. The Jews did not think that this was about the Messiah. Some did. And Jews today definitely do not think that is about the Messiah. And they will get very angry if you suggest that it is. We look back at it and say, it's very clearly this is about the Messiah. So, Jesus came to take away sin, to cover every one of our sins one time in his death. Far more than anybody was expecting. What's more, there is no religion except Christianity that does this. Every other religion you look at offers you a path to cleanse yourself to get to God. If there is a God in that religion. There are some religions that aren't even necessarily about God. But every other religion, you look at it, tells you how you can be righteous, how you can earn your merit. But Christianity doesn't do that. Christianity says, you're worse than you think you are. You're so bad you can't do it. Face it. You're you're too bad to earn your way. God had to make the way. God had to provide a way to cleanse you from your sins. That's why he sent Jesus. Only Christianity has that. How is it that people twist Christianity and they make Jesus this great teacher who sets an example that you can't follow, who taught us to love one another that we can't do, and then he died for who knows what reason. Jesus is uniquely in Christianity the one who pays for our sins. He's betrayed by a close disciple that he chose, accused of blasphemy, by the Jewish leaders, and then executed on a cross by the Roman leaders. He's totally innocent. And who orchestrates all of this? God the Father. God the Father sent Jesus as a baby to live a perfect life so that when he dies, he's not dying for his own sin. He's dying for your sin, for my sin, for all who will place their trust In him. That's unique to Christianity. You can't do it. He does it for you. All you need to do is trust. There is no merit-based Christianity. That's not what it is. We need to be clear on that. And that also relates to the virgin birth, by the way. You see, the virgin birth is important because the conception has to be sinless. Okay? Jesus has no earthly father. Men, this is bad news for us. This implies that sin is passed down from the men. I don't know how else to interpret this, actually. You know, Catholics kind of bend over backwards to figure this one out. They say that, well, if Jesus is born without sin, then Mary must have been born without sin. So the Catholics have the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which doesn't mean what most of us think it means. It means that Mary was born without sin so that she could have a baby born without sin. We reject that. Okay? But Mary okay, Mary conceives, but the father does not pass there is no father to pass down the sin of Adam. So there's still some mystery to that, but the, the sin of Adam, Jesus is not born guilty of Adam's sin. Therefore, he is born guiltless. He lives a perfectly righteous life. The virgin birth is very important in Christianity. Very important. So that he has godly origin and that he has no sin. He does, he's not born with Adam's sin. What does this say about God? Obviously, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God loved us to die for, to send his son to die for us Why we had no interest in him. Why we were his enemies, he looks at us and he loves us. And he says, I want to rescue you. Not because you're such great people. He just loves his own. He just loves his people. And he says, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to send the Jesus. But you know what it says about us? We're so bad. That was the only thing that could be done. Do you get that? We don't want to think about that, do we? We're so bad that there was no other way for us to be saved, no other way for us to be rescued than by the death of God, than by the death of Jesus, the Son of God. There was no other way it required that because sin is so ugly, so bad. And yes, your sin and my sin is that bad it required it. It says a lot. And that is what we're celebrating Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to take flesh, he came to take away sin, and he came to take his throne. Now this part Mary gets, because there's a lot of Messiah language there, that his father will give him the throne of his father, Jacob. That's Messiah language. Now the concept of the Messiah, it's a whole other sermon, Pastor Terrence spoke on it a bit last week. Um. There's a lot of ambiguity as to what would happen when the Messiah came. What things would look like. What's the imagery, the whole thing about the wolf and the lamb. Is that literal? Is it a picture of what Israel's going to look like? Or is that heaven? Is, is that the whole world? Is it just the nation of Israel? They didn't understand. And when you read the end of Isaiah, you see that other nations are coming in. But there's a lot of confusion. And what does Israel want? They just want sovereignty. Israel just wants to be a sovereign nation. They'd be completely happy if that's all they got. is a sovereign nation with some leader on some throne, and that's all they really want. And so that's what they're looking for. And so the Messiah is to be born, and Mary understands that. But when Jesus does come, and he talks about the kingdom this is not the kind of kingdom he's talking about. He tells them that the way into the kingdom is to become like a child. He tells them uh, that in this kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. And in this kingdom, I and mean, he starts driving out demons. He says, that gonna be, there's going to be no evil in this kingdom. There's going to be no sickness in this kingdom. And he starts doing that. And just like the Jews, people today get just as confused as to when this kingdom comes and what it looks like because we have so many people today who said Jesus has come there's no more sickness today okay there should be no sickness Jesus has come there should be no more death Jesus has come there should be only prosperity people get confused they don't understand Jesus kingdom has come but it's not yet okay Jesus is Lord he is Lord of Lords he is King of Kings you know when Satan tempted Jesus one of his temptations was I will give you All the kingdoms of the world. And many of you say, that wasn't a temptation. Yes, it was. Because one day, Jesus will be Lord of Lords over all the kingdoms. And actually, he already is. Kanye knows that. Kanye West knows this, right? Many of you have heard about Kanye. Something's happened to Kanye. A man with one of the biggest egos in the world. Now has a CD called Jesus is King. I haven't listened to it. I probably won't. Okay? But... Kanye's been saved. At least it seems that way, and he says that he's now working for Jesus, and 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 he's something's happened, and he's called his CD Jesus is King because he is King. Now you may look at the wicked rulers of the world, and you see the way many wicked rulers are oppressing their people, and instituting genocides, and they're corrupt, and they're they're taking all the money from the nation and so on. You say, how can Jesus be King? He is King. And evil will not ultimately triumph because Jesus is king. He will not be mocked. And even in our own nation, when we see laws that defy God's rules and God's word, when we see abortion being permitted, encouraged, celebrated, when we see sexual debauchery, when we see Christianity openly mocked, and so on, and I can go on and on and on, it's like, can Jesus be king? He is king. And one day, and you and I will see it with our eyes, whether on this side of heaven or on the other, when every knee will bow, whether gladly or reluctantly, Every knee will bow and every tongue will profess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he already is. God has made Jesus to rule. Is he ruler of your own life as well? He'll settle for nothing less. Jesus has come to take his throne. To take his kingdom. And it is a spiritual kingdom. But we will see when it is a total kingdom. Kingdom over all realms. We will see that. What an announcement to this young woman. We don't know what she understood. Okay, she was a young woman. How much could she understand? And as Jesus is born, and Mary and Joseph are wrestling with all the things that parents wrestle with, and here they are raising the Son of God. What did they understand? When did they understand? But what an announcement! The Son of God came to take flesh. The Son of God came to take sin. And the Son of God came to take his throne. What's the message of Christmas? It's a time of love. It's a time of giving. A time of good cheer. A time when we all need to be nice to each other and so on. These are all side effects. These are all just trimmings. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came to save. And he came as a baby in order to do that. It's not just a time of love, it's a time of God's love for sinners. And we, of all people, cannot lose touch with that. That's what Christmas is. That's what we are celebrating. Give gifts, decorate all you want, but do not forget, this is what we are celebrating. We're such sinners, we needed this kind of rescue. And if we've been rescued, then we have plenty of reason to celebrate. But let's not forget why we're doing it, what we're doing. It's the greatest news in the world if the world will have it. And it's our greatest treasure if we do have it. So let's not lose sight as we once again celebrate the birth of our King who came to save. Let's pray. Our Lord, how we praise you that for all eternity you knew that you would create us, you knew that we would be sinners, and you knew what you would need to do to rescue us. And so we look back at a couple thousand years ago when you entered humanity. You took flesh for that very reason. We ask that you would help us now as we enter into this Christmas season, that it would be so real for us, that we would be both sorrowful and joyful at our sin and our redemption. For anyone here who's not experienced that, I pray that you would make that a new reality this season. Help us to praise you and help us to spread the news that Jesus Christ has come. We pray in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.